Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pet and Advocate podcast, the weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back in to the coaching staff, episode number 49. Tony, we've been doing this for almost a year. Yeah, when I went up uh, and saw you at Snow Valley, I was like, "That's this is about a year ago when you had the idea to put this thing together. And, you know, obviously we've taken a few weeks off here and there um, for a variety of reasons. But, yeah, a year is crazy. It's gone by fast. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, well, uh, Tony, what do you want to do for our anniversary? <laughs> uh, Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> Seems appropriate. <laughs> Oh, 44 seconds new record. <laughs> you teed it up. <laughs> uh, okay, you can, uh, you know what? Because it's a special occasion, you can substitute your drink for a shake. Sweet. The Jamoka shake is, is pretty good. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh no, episode number 49. And uh, we thought we would talk about how to make uh, or how, what are things that you can do to take a player who is difficult to coach or the, the quote-unquote uncoachable player and to make them coachable? Uh, but before we get to that, Tony, two uniform numbers, uh, number 49s, both of them pitchers. I'll, I will even narrow it down a little further. The uh, Other than the Cubs and the White Sox and the Cubs and the Cardinals, one, they both played, or they, they each are most known for being on one of the two teams from the greatest rivalry in baseball. Okay. Um, not, is it Kurt Schilling? Nope. Good start, though. Uh, let's see. Um, right franchise, one of the right franchises. Okay. Played with uh, One of them played with Kurt Schilling. Was on the same staff. Pedro? Nope. He was 45. Dang it. Um, I believe Tim he was Wakefield. Tim Wakefield. There you go. That is one of them. The other one played on the other great uh, franchise of the, the, the rivalries here. Uh, played in the 70s, though. That's when he's most known for his. That was his greatest time period. Ron Guidry. Nardog <laughs> nailed it. Really? Yes. Louisiana Lightning. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Yeah. That's pretty good, buddy. That was that was pretty that's pretty much blind squirrel getting old, getting <laughs> lucky there. Uh, well, you found that nut, blind squirrel. So <laughs> um All right. Well hey. Well done. We're we're ready to go. We're ready to dive in the content that's here, buddy. Yeah. So um so we were kind of talking or you know texting, twittering back and forth with one another, uh, talking about, uh, yeah, just, just you know, every once in a while, if you do this long enough, you're going to have players that are difficult to coach. Now, the relative scale of how difficult a player is to coach is is just that. And most of the time, your, your quote-unquote players that are, are at times difficult to coach, it's, it's going to come and go. You're going to have a player that is maybe not happy with their playing time, but they keep their head into it, and they're pretty good teammates, even though they're disappointed about their playing time, uh, as an example. But every once in a while, you're going to come across a player, and Tony, I'm, I'm guessing you've done this long enough, 
you're going to come across a player that is disruptive enough to your team or to your program that you have to take it beyond a simple conversation at the end of practice or something along those lines. And that's kind of what I'm envisioning for our conversation today. Is that kind of where you're at as well, Tony? Yeah, you know, and, and one of the things that really helped me, I was reading John Gordon's book, Energy Bus. Yep. Um, and that really helped just in terms of being able to address it and, you know, and, and come up with a plan and move forward. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, 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 the energy vampire, and if you haven't read the energy bus, I encourage you, it's probably John Gordon's best work that, that I've ever read uh, personally, and, and I've got quite a few. I don't have all of his stuff, but I've got a lot of his stuff, but it just does a great job of, of what you should be bringing to a team and what you should not, you know, more importantly, what you should not be bringing to a team and how to change that. Uh, I know my first year uh, at Fort Calhoun, uh, that was each year we read a book as a team in our preseason to kind of set the tone for our, our themes. And that was the one that we read my first year. And that's an obvious go-to, but I, I encourage you to do something like that. So, uh, and we did a, we did a bunch of exercises, a bunch of discussions with it. So, uh, it wasn't just, Hey, read it. And then we go from there, you know, uh, it, it was read, it was constantly brought up and, and those themes were, were brought up all year long. So, uh, there was that reinforcement. So, so, so being with a uh, quote-unquote uncoachable player, uh, I, you know, Tony and I are going to divide this into two parts. We're going to talk about what makes a player uncoachable. What are signs that you need to look for that you need to be aware of when dealing with a, a, a player that might be uncoachable, that might be disturbing your program's chemistry, uh, your camaraderie, all of those intangible type of things. So, Tony, I've got about five or six things listed here. Uh, do you want me to go first or do you want to go? Um, I'll start with a sign. You okay. know, and one of the signs, and I'm stealing this from somebody, and I don't remember exactly who it is, but it's body language. You know, mm. body language doesn't whisper, it screams. And that, that's a big sign. You know, uh, one of my expectations is that if you're on the bench, you're engaged. Now you're engaged, you're, you're cheering your teammate on, and I know that's hard, especially if that's the teammate that either you're backing up or that's in for you right now and playing well, so that's going to cut into your playing time. But this standoffish, you know, uh, legs extended, arms back behind your head, that, that doesn't fly with me very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's one of the big signs would be body language to me. Mm-hmm. I did not have that on my list, Tony, but that's a really good one. So uh, I had... Uh, like overly sensitive, uh, very defensive. You, you you blow the whistle and say, "Hey, Billy, why are you know what were you? Well, 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 you know, Frank was supposed to do this, you know, and and nothing is their fault. I, I think that's a big warning sign there that if you have a player that is constantly, you know, saying things like that or not taking accountability for their mistakes, that's that's a big warning sign to me of a, of a player that is quote unquote uncoachable. So uh, what's another one you got, buddy? You know, another side is just the whole, you know, and this one's a little bit harder to pick up, but the, the talking, you know, behind your back type of thing, whispering to teammates, eye rolls. um, Those would all be things, you know, just that, that, 
I, I don't know if I want to say nonverbal because I obviously the eye roll is nonverbal, but to sit there and you find that's interesting is that when someone's miserable, they're like magnets and they attract mm-hmm. others that are miserable with them. And Cancer it was kind cells. of that thing with one bad apple spoils the whole bunch where that group can kind of get going and, and just, you know, unfortunately kind of through osmosis, if you will, permeate out to the other members of the team. But that's a big one as well. Yeah. The the cancer cell type of example. They, they Misery loves company, as the saying mm-hmm. goes, Tony. And, and so they're going to try and bring people in with them. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, unreliable. You know, he's somebody that is constantly late for, uh, you know, team meetings or practices, or uh, they're just showing up right when it starts. Uh, things like that. Uh, those are those are red flags to me. Now, sometimes, you know, especially like with a team like yours, you know, sophomore boys, a lot of your kids probably don't have driver's license at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year. So maybe it's not their fault. It's mom and dad's fault. And maybe it's not necessarily mom and dad's fault because they've got to work till five and they're screaming across Cedar Rapids to try and get their kid to Cedar Rapids Prairie at 5.30 because, and, and, and they get there at 5.32 because they have family obligations. I mean, there's, there's differences in that example. And I, and, mm-hmm. and I, and I think you have to parse through that a bit. Uh, but, but that to, to me, you just, just, you know, if you always have to wonder whether or not they're going to be there on time or be there at all, or, you know, things like that, uh, if I give them a task, if I say, hey, I need you to do this little thing. I do a lot of things for my team where I'll say to a player, hey, tomorrow remind me in our pre- in our team meeting that we need to talk about this. And I'll have it written down, but I just do that as a little test to see if they remember, you know. Mm-hmm. And and if they if you give them that task and they consistently forget about it or, or things like that, you know, so that's that's one for me as well. So what's another one you got? Mine kind of goes along those same lines. It's a little bit different, but it's the double edged sword. And what I'm talking about is, you know, commitment. You know, mm-hmm. are they there Work in the it. summer? Yep. You know, and we, we talked a little bit about that, obviously, a week or so ago, uh, the whole summer opportunity and different things like that. But they're never there. And then they want to complain that about their playing time or you're not giving them a chance or whatever the case may be. And they don't understand that that summer was the opportunity. It was the chance. It was the you know, opportunity to get better and stuff like that. And so that's one, you know, it's not just an in-season commitment, but it's the outside of the season. And I get, you're probably not going to get perfect attendance from everybody, but it, that, that whole, are you there in the off season shows your commitment to the team. But again, if they're, you know, disgruntled, they might not be there and it's their way of rebelling, if you will. And then they can sit there and whine about, you know, you're not fair to them and this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And speaking of fairness, I think another big red flag that you look out for, uh, I put uh, an elevated value to the team uh, or unrealistic expectations. I think that's another thing. And I think this is where we get caught up in certain situations. I, I think the most common situation of this, Tony, is you have a junior or a senior that expects to play, that expects to start or expects X amount of shots, or whatever it may be, and that's not in the cards. It's, it's just not going to happen. And uh, when they have that elevated expectation, and now part of that is you have to dr- address that, and we've talked about it before on the pod 
where your job, uh, in our program anyway, and I've said this a million times, I apologize if you've heard this a million times already, you know, when it comes to roles, our belief in roles is know, accept, embrace, and excel at your role. Well, your job as the coach is to tell your players they have to know what their role is, and you have to tell them that. Now, so if they know their role, if you have told them their role, and then they still have those elevated, ex- unrealistic expectations and a, an elevated value to the team in the regard of the tangible stuff out there, you know, I should be getting 12 shots a game. I should be starting. Well, no, you should be shooting three times a game. You are our eighth or ninth player. Uh, that's that can that can be the the that can get into uncoachable territory as well. So that's that's another thing that I had. And you know, a lot of it is like when you have a conversation with them. If pretty much every other word and you know is going to be I or me, mm-hmm. and the whole sense of entitlement. You know, those are those are things that are red flags as well, because with a team, you know, obviously it's an acronym together. Together, everyone achieves more. It can't be about just one person. And if the world revolves around them and their kind of, you know, negative words, negative body language, negative whatever towards their teammates, it just fractures your your chemistry because it is such a super important thing. You know, basketball, I'm not going to lie, it's a long season. And if you have that one person that kind of makes it just miserable to be around, it's it's really tough. And a lot of that goes back to, you know, I, me, entitlement, um, you know, and just it's all about them. And mm. that 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 is a chemistry killer. That was uh, the me above we is exactly what I had written down. Now, I, I, I will say this, Tony. Uh, they you're going to have selfish players, but mm-hmm. to a degree. Every player is selfish to a degree. Every player is is playing because they want to achieve some sort of thing individually. And if you didn't, you you need some ego on your on, on good teams. You have to have some ego. But is that ego more driven to the team success rather than to the individual success? That's part of the art of coaching, right there. So I I think that there's times where you do have to, uh, you do need a little bit of selfishness, and and every player to a degree is selfish. I know to, I know I was probably selfish when I played, um, and especially when we're dealing with teenagers, for the most part, the people that are listening to this, uh, there there is going to be selfishness. But can you redirect that selfishness in a positive way to where you're? It's not selfishness. It's confidence in themselves. It's confidence in the team. And, and also, uh, you know, can you redirect that selfishness for the goals and the good of the team? But I agree with you that anybody who puts, you know, the, the me above we, that's a, that's a massive red flag of an uncoachable player. And it's one of those things, too, where it's about balance. Yeah. You know, confidence oh. is great, yep. but it can't bleed into arrogance. Yeah. And that's like, I think that's where you're going is the Ex- fact that absolutely. it has to be a balance. You know, you want them to buy into the program, the team, and, you know, kind of sacrifice the me, if you will, for the we. Um, and, and sometimes you just have to redirect that a little bit. And that, that's going to be the key part. And that's where, to be honest with you, a good, a good chunk of change is earned by the head coach is they have to be able to navigate this road and to do it well. Mm-hmm. 
Tony, once again, you take my words and eloquently turn them around to make them better sense than what I intended them to be. So you go ahead and get some ranch dressing with those curly fries if you want to. So, You know, the Arby's sauce is, is pretty good, too. Uh, yeah, if, if that's your choice, you can do whatever you want to. So, um, I had one other thing. Um, if, if they violate your trust or if they violate the team's trust, uh, you're, you're talking about something in the locker room and it's intended to stay. What, 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 what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room as far as the covenant of the team. And you start hearing whispers of people talking about it. Well, where did that come from? Well, that came from, from, you know, Billy, we're going to pick on Billy today. Uh, you know, and they violated your trust. They violated the team's trust. Uh, that's a, that's a, for me, that's a massive red flag that's that's where you can be a not very good player you can make some impulsive decisions on the floor uh that are you're trying to do more for you than you are for the team those are things that i believe that you can that you could coach around and work with a kid but when when you violate the team's trust that's where i i mean that's that's the death nail for me right there uh, personally. So I, I think that's another red flag there. Yeah. The, the, the team part of it, the whole trust that that's sacred, you know, to me, a team is, is kind of like a family, yeah. you know, and, and it's one of those things, what happens amongst you in a locker room or in a gym or, or whatever sport you happen to be playing on whatever, you know, field of competition there's stuff that stays in there and you have to, you have to understand that. And there's just a code that you don't violate there. And if all of a sudden things are getting out, you've got a cancer in your locker room. That's something that you have to, to deal with and deal with strongly. Mm -hmm. Coaches, you know, just as well as I do that we're always looking for new and different ways to motivate our players and programs. But sometimes it's hard to find that perfect source that we're looking for. Over the past 25 years, I've collected hundreds of handouts to help motivate my players and programs, and now I'd like to share some of my favorites with you. The A Pen and a Napkin 101 Best Handouts Booklet is now available for you, to you for only $15. In this booklet, you'll find motivational material for all types of situations and individuals to help you communicate your values to your players and program. For ordering information, you can either DM me on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com for details. Anything else, Tony? No, I think we're ready to, to move into the second part of this thing. Okay. So how, and in most situations, you know, we're not, we're not Bill Belichick. Uh, we just can't take this negative situation and just cut them or trade them. Uh, we have an obligation as as coaches, as educators, to try and help these young people uh, find the error in their ways to try and coach them through it and to make them better and to make it work for your team. Now, you know, we'll get to this eventually. And I think one of the key things is, Tony, that you're not going to fix everybody. I think you have to accept that. And there comes a time where if you have done this and this and this and this, and you have clearly communicated that with your administration, that there may come a time where no matter what you do in a rare situation, you may just have to cut bait. You just may have to excuse the young man or the young woman 
from your program because you, it's just not working. Their their attitude is not working. Now, more often than not, a lot of times that player will walk away on their own uh, because of the situation that you've created. You know, hey, Billy, you're, you're suspended for a game. I'm not going to play you. Uh, you were our seventh player, but now you're our ninth or tenth player. And a lot of times when you're dealing with that type of stuff, that player will will walk away on their own. But I think an important thing before we get into this, before we try to get into our solutions to these issues, is you have to accept that it may not work out and that you may need to make a really, really tough decision that you don't want to make. And I don't know if you've ever been there, Tony. I came close one time. Uh, I, I thought it was right uh, to do. Uh, it, it didn't happen. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other things that we could go through in that situation. We would fill out multiple coaching staff pods in that regard. Uh, but it, it just wasn't working. And I felt like, okay, we just need to part ways. It, it, it's, it's just not going to happen. And, and I think sometimes we as educators and as coaches, we believe that, well, we, we have to try and make every situation work. Now, you, you can't you can't sacrifice the whole for the good of one. And I think that's something that we have to understand before we even get into it. Yeah, you know, if, if I had read the John Gordon book earlier, there probably has been a kid or two that I would have dismissed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was one of those things where I was holding out hope, trying to work with them. And it just it didn't work and, and should have dismissed. Like I said, probably I can think off of two off the top of my head. Um you know, and then as I, I go back through and I look at it, obviously patience has to be a part of it um, because they're young people. And I would love to tell you that I've got it all together at my advanced age, and I, I don't. No. Um, and so we Very have evident. Two, yeah, two imperfect beings trying to work together and figure a solution out. It, it can be bumpy. And so you have to be patient um, with, with hoping that you get them to where you need to get them to. Because, you know, I'll give you a couple quick thoughts. One, um, you know, I've heard the phrase before, uncoachable players become unemployable adults. Yep. And I, I, I definitely don't want that for, for any of the kids that I've ever had the privilege of being, you know, being around and being their coach. Um, you know, and it's one of those things where a lot of times, you know, people, well, how successful were you as a coach? People want to spout off their record. You know, well, I won so many games and only lost this many games or whatever. And I think it, it, it's determined 5, 10, 15 years down the road mm-hmm. when you take a look at them in terms of how they're doing in life. Mm-hmm. You know, being a good employee, being a good husband or, or wife or whatever the case may be, being a good dad, a good mom, you know, those types of things. That's more, I think, where you measure your your success and your impact as a coach. It's not it's not as much by the wins and the losses. Yeah, it was the same thing as a parent. You know, how good mm-hmm. of a parent were you? Well, let my kids have kids and let me watch them raise their kids. I'll tell you how good of a parent I was. You know, that's kind of the same vein there. So, uh, Tony, I had about four or five tips on on how to help make uncoachable players coachable. Uh, do you want me to start or do you want to, you want to let it rip? Um, one of the things I go ahead and start on this. And one of the things I would, would say, you know, in terms of this is I think you have to get them to buy into the vision, you know, the, the end result, if you will. Um, a lot of times, you know, it's hard because for them to give up the me over the, we, you have to be able to, to sell them the vision and the hope kind of like what I'm, I'm, you know, I mentioned earlier. And I think that's a big part of it. Like, Hey, you know, yeah, you can score 
14, 16 a game. You can start, you can do whatever, but is that really what's going to be what's best for our group? And then get them to buy into sharing the ball and setting good screens and being in help defense and, and different things like that, but just more part of understanding what it takes to be a part of your group and kind of sacrificing that ego a little bit and how that's going to make them more, I want to say happy because I think happiness is based upon like events. You know, I scored a bucket, I got to start whatever, but more joyful where, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't get that roller coaster of emotions that sometimes teenagers and and, and myself as well can ride. Yeah. I have something kind of related to that. Uh, I, I think it's important that, if, if Billy, and again, poor Billy today, uh, Billy Billy is in this category. I, I think that it's important that you sit down with Billy and you set clear expectations and standards. Uh, now, you, you're, you know, I agree with you, Tony. Here's, here's what this is going to look like. If you do this, if you do what we ask you to do as a coaching staff, this is what it's going to look like for us, hopefully. But, you, you know, if you don't, um, this is what it can look like. They, you know, there's the vision. How are we going to get there? Here's the standards. Here's the way we need you. You know, you're not going to talk back to any of the coaches in practice or what, whatever it may be. Uh, but set those clear standards, set those clear expectations. And then when Billy violates, so to speak, those standards and expectations, he's also aware of what the repercussions could be. You know, Billy, if you talk back to... Uh, one of the assistant coaches, you're going to run until I tell you that you're done running, you know, or whatever the, whatever, whatever the issue may be with Billy. Uh, and you put that into place. And this is something I, in the situation I was talking about before, I didn't do a very good job with this because, uh, I just, I don't know. I took it for granted that all players we're just going to be coachable, I guess. And I and I think that's a mistake that I made. And I just didn't understand this particular player's behavior because I had just never seen anything like it before. Uh, does that make sense, Tony? That mm-hmm. and, yeah. and so what I failed to do was to have that, okay, when you do this, this is how it affects other people. You can't do this because it affects me. It affects you. It affects us. And if you do this, this is going, you know, here's the standard. And this is why it's not good for us. And and so I think that's something that I learned from that situation uh, based on my mistakes. Because I didn't do a very good job of setting a clear expectation, setting a high standard, and then constantly enforcing those expectations and standards. Because I just felt like this is normal. This is, this is what you're supposed to be doing. These are the, this is the type of situation I've always dealt with. Uh, and it, and it was completely new and different to me. It was really foreign. So, uh, that's one thing that I had. Yeah. And kind of going back and, and dovetailing a little bit, bit with that is, you know, we mentioned the energy bus earlier yeah. and one of the things in the energy bus, there's like an agreement that everybody signs. Yeah. And so rather than just having, you know, the, the, one or two players, whatever the case may be, that are the issue, have them sign it. No, have everybody sign it. Yep. And so I think that way you can hold you know people accountable. But hey, this is something you agreed to. We all agreed to this, and um, I, I agreed to it as well. And hopefully, I'm upholding my end of things. And a big thing that I thought that you added there that was really really good as well, consistently enforcing it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you are violating this, this is what's going to happen and consistently doing that. And if there comes a point in time where, hey, um, you violated this and you keep violating it, I would bring in their parents and yeah. sit down with the player, the parents, yourself, maybe some assistant coaches. And if the behavior still doesn't seem to be going the way that you need to go to, maybe get your AD involved in that. And then, like you mentioned earlier, there comes a point in time where, hey, this isn't working. It's not just working on our end, you know, but it's also not working on your end as well. I just don't know if this is a good situation. So I think we're just going to have to call it good here. And if they're an underclassman, you know, maybe they're a sophomore, junior, whatever the case may be, you need to also factor in, will they be allowed to come back out if they can get some things correct? Will there be steps put into place so they can come back and be a part of the team if they want to down the road and, and different things that are involved with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you on all of that, Tony. Um, you know, when you're enforcing it, a couple of things with that, and you brought that up, you know, how do you enforce it? Well, I think that there's uh, two or three things that you need to think about. Uh, Don Meyer used to say when you when talk to officials, uh, have it be, you know, a, a steady drizzle, you know, slow and, and, and steady. And I, and I think that's really, really important here. Uh, it's got to be a light, steady rain. Just a, you know, we got a little drizzle in Omaha here this morning, Tony. So trying to cool things off. Uh, and, and that's what you're looking for. You don't want it to come in these massive storm clouds, you know, and you, and you have to come in and, you know, lay the hammer, so to speak. And you're bringing all the thunder and the lightning. And again, that's a, that's a mistake I made in, in previous situations as well, where, you know, instead of bringing it as a light rain, I brought it as thunder and lightning. Uh, again, part of it was just the frustration of why just why is your brain functioning this way? You know, uh, and and I didn't understand it because I had never seen it before. Uh, so do it like that. And then I think it's really, really important that when they fulfill the the, the things that you have talked about with them, to really praise it. Now, there's two different ways to praise it. Uh, to praise it privately with them. Walk up to, hey, Billy, I loved your body language today. Great job in practice. That's exactly what we're looking for. And and, and don't make a huge deal out of it, but just let them know that's that's what we're looking for. That's You've done what we've asked you to do today, Billy. Great job with that. Or, you know, you can do it obviously in front of the team if you feel that that's appropriate. Hey, really love Billy's energy today. Really loved it. Great job, Billy. Two claps for Billy. And, and we move on from there. But I think that it's it's that it's it's got to be steady. It's got to be consistent, and and praise it when you see it. Uh, what do they say on PGC? What is praised is repeated, and and I think that's important that you do that there. So, um, anything else, Tony? Hundred percent agree. The positive reinforcement thing. Um, and make sure that it's real, it's yeah. genuine. Yep. You're not just kind of blowing smoke, so to speak, because you know, one of the things with, with kids that they do a pretty good job of is they can figure out what's real and what's fake. And so you've got to make sure that your praise is specific and it's warranted. Don't just to blow smoke to blow smoke. They'll figure that out in a, in a heartbeat. Um, you know, and, and those are those are very, very key things there uh, with them. But I agree. I think most of the time, do it privately because you know the way that you're dealing with it is probably privately. I mean, the, the players know something's up, yeah. but but you know, go mostly mostly private on that one. But when it does warrant it, 
do make sure that you you speak up for them in front of the group, um, you know, with with appropriate uh, affirmation there as well. Mm-hmm. You got anything else, buddy? I think I'm good. Okay, I, d- I did have one one more thing, uh, and, and it, it, with most of these kids, when you're talking about uncoachable kids, more often than not, it's one or two things. You know, Billy's body language or Billy's attitudes toward the assistant coaches or. Uh, Billy's tardiness or whatever it may be. Uh, but if there's more than one thing, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, try to, you're not going to fix everything. Just like with your team, you know, Jim Calhoun said, you know, you can be great. You got to pick three at the most four things to be great at, and then pick a few things that you're adequate at, and then pick a few things that you just hope you're able to get by with, you know? And, and, and so kind of the same situation here. If you've got a kid who's just, really a, a real hard nut to crack find one or two things and you know what are the one or two things that you really need to to figure out first and then get that taken care of you're not going to fix all things at once and so pick out what you think is important and then move on and and once you feel like you've got that figured out then move on to the next couple of things uh that was the last thing that i had on that anything with that tony yeah, I mean, if you're going to talk about, you know, if you're going to eat an elephant, the easiest way to do it's one bite at a time. And if you give a kid this mountain list of things they've got to get better at, you know, off the court, body language, you know, eye contact, whatever, you're just going to overwhelm them. And so start off in digestible chunks. When you're making some progress there, maybe go into phase two and begin to go a little bit further. But yeah, this is, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing. It's a tough one to navigate. Mm-hmm. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. You know who doesn't have trouble with navigation, Tony? Europe, because they know where Omaha, Nebraska is. You betcha they do, because they've 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 been there, done that, you know. So, um, th- uh, trivia this week, Tony. Are you ready, sir? Are you ready, ready to for- get another one wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I will say this one is a little bit tougher. Sweet, but it's 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 doable. I have faith. I have faith. Yeah. All right. So, are you ready, sir? I am. This week, Jalen Brown made some headlines uh biggest uh, highest paid contract in nba history the first 300 million dollar 
player, or what we call in teaching circles February. Uh, that was a joke. Um, February is the shortest month. It's actually March. Um, but uh, $300, $304 million in change uh, for Jalen Brown over the next five years. Uh, who? Here's my question for you, Tony. In the 1979-1980 season, there were two players in NBA in the NBA in the 79-80 season that cracked the million-dollar-a-year salary mark. Name one or both of them. I even narrowed it down to the year. So the 79-80. That's before Bird and Magic, right? Yep. That was their rookie years. Okay. I'm going to go Dr. J. Great guess, but incorrect. He started making a million dollars the next year. How could they screw the doctor over like that? Um, shoot. I was pretty confident in the doctor. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Um, shoot. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Another outstanding guess. <laughs> But the next year, he started making a million dollars. Oh man, I've only got one more guess, so I'm. But if you get it right, I'll give you another. I'll give you know. There's two of them that made a million that year. First place. Grasping for straws here. Oh man. I'll tell you. I'll give you a hint. Both of them were centers. And I would say I'll even give you a, a, another hint. One of them, one of these players, was very deserving, and one of them, perhaps, was not deserving based on his availability. Bill Walton. Bill Walton is one for the San Diego Clippers, not the L.A. Clippers, the San Diego Clippers. I thought he was still with the Blazers back then. Um. um Shoot, the other one. Very deserving. MVP level deserving. I doubt Wilt was still playing back then. No. Um. Moses Malone. Nailed it. Really? Yeah, yeah, you got it right. Yeah, so... Moses was with the Rockets. He made a million dollars. Bill Walton was with San Diego. He made a million. And then Dr. J and Kareem joined them the next year. And then the year after that, um, <laughs> this is pretty crazy. Now, of course, this is uh, according to Wikipedia. So uh, this is science right here. Uh, those four and then the starting five, the fifth player to make a million dollars a year uh, was not Larry Bird, was not Michael Jordan, was not Kevin McHale, was not Magic Johnson. It was the fundamentally sound Otis Birdsong. Otis? Yes. Sacramento King, wasn't he? Uh, this is when he was with the New Jersey Nets. Oh, okay. So, uh, I, I did. I was going to go back. Uh, here's a here's another. So here's a byproduct of the, the byproduct of the trivia question. I, I went back, or I wanted to see kind of where this came from was, Okay, 20 years ago, how is this relatable in salary? And 20 years ago, uh, Kevin Garnett was the highest paid player. He made $25 million that year. So a little more than doubled in the span of two decades. So 
I just thought, thought that was interesting. So, yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. So much uh, better than the one that I had looked up about the New York Liberty having made at least 10 threes in 10 straight games. I did actually hear that on the telecast yesterday. I was watching the game. So yeah. uh, I might have had a chance at that. So, okay. Yeah. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the A Pen and a Napkin video library. Uh, speaking of a chance, How about that? let's talk a little uh, this week in basketball, Tony. We got about four things. Let's let's start with the Jalen Brown contract. For it, against it, is he deserving? What do you think, buddy? You know, Jalen Brown, if you're taking a look strictly at his basketball contribution, I would say no, but if you take a look at the way that Jalen Brown gives back to that community and to others, I just I'm very, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jalen Brown what he does off the court as mm-hmm. well. Yep. Um, you know, and in one of those things with Jalen Brown, you know, obviously doesn't go left overly well, uh, but he's still a fairly young player. So I mean, there's there's some the way the market's going, um, but it's kind of a mixed bag. Like I said, if you're asking me, would I give him 300 plus million based off of what he's done on a basketball court? I probably would. Mm-hmm. If you want to say, because of the type of things that he does off the floor combined with his basketball skill, I- I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not like, it's not like he stinks. I mean, he's, he's a very, very good player and he was mm-hmm. uh, at times better than Tatum was in the finals uh, a couple of years ago against the Warriors. And he's a he's a he averaged 26, 27 a game. Now, again, you know, offensive stats are a little bit elevated these days based on the rules and and the three point shot and things like that. But uh, he's he's really, really good. Uh, And and I think that, you know, what's crazy is this salary won't in, in, in about three or four years, this salary won't be as elevated because of the new uh, salary cap and the new TV, uh, the media rights deal and everything that's going to come with that. Uh, But is it a bit much for the Celtics to pay for this? Yeah, I I, I think it is. But you couldn't let him just walk away, walk away either. And you were either going to pay for Jalen Brown or you were going to trade for Damian Lillard, who is a lot older than Jalen Brown, is not as versatile as Jalen Brown, uh, you know, just doesn't, you know, just doesn't have the same skill set and is a lot older than Jalen Brown or a James Harden or somebody else. And I think when you look at, when you look at the field and what are your other options, Jalen Brown is a much better option than most of the other guys that are in this tax bracket so to speak in the nba i mean he's much more more reliable than a paul george uh 
you know, Kawhi Leonard is a better player than him, but Jalen Brown is much more available than Kawhi Leonard is, yeah, as an example. So I, I, I don't think it's the worst deal in the world, but you combine that with his uh, off-the-court contributions to the city of Boston, to society at large. He was one of the uh, strongest voices uh, during the, the bubble and the George Floyd protests about civil rights issues. And he's just a really, really smart kid. Uh, I say he's a kid. He's a 27-year-old grown man. Excuse me for saying that, Jalen, if you ever listen to this. So I, I, I really feel like it is a good investment. Uh, it's, it's not, you know, he's, he's always going to be Pippen to Tatum's Jordan, probably. You know, Tatum is, you know, considered probably the better overall player. But those two together for the next five years is going to put the Celtics in a really, really good situation, I think. Yeah, and, you know, one of those things with, with Jalen Brown, the Celtics had traded away enough pieces. You know, Marcus Smart gone, Grant Williams gone. Just that locker room voice, that consistency, I, I, I think he's a m- much better player than maybe what he's given credit for. Like mm-hmm. you said, he's versatile. He's a good defender. Um, Lillard is a short rental. There's not a whole lot of time, and I, I'm not. I'm just not a big James Harden guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Me and you both, brother. Me and you both. So, um, Let's talk a little Bronny James. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, Tony, but, uh, man, as a father, you and I are both there. We, we uh, your, your kids are older than my kids, but uh, just scary as, as a dad, as, as a parent, uh, to see something like that happen. Uh, it sounds like... You know, you know, he was back out and dining with his family publicly three or four days after this incident took place while we were at Snow Valley. Uh, so I'm just happy that it looks like it, it's not going to be a long-term health issue. Now, as far as his basketball situation, obviously that's for doctors to figure out and, and to see what's going on. Uh, but um, I, I know just as a father... Uh, my heart goes out to LeBron and to his wife uh, because, man, that's just that's just that's just scary as a parent. Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't have an 18-year-old son going to cardiac arrest, and you know, fortunately, they had AED machines at USC uh, and were able to to save his life. But yeah, I mean, it's very very scary. Like kind of like what you mentioned, uh, did go out dining with his family. Uh, I've heard as well back at home playing the piano and stuff like that. Um, you know, and, and there's some hope, you know, after what we saw with DeMar Hamlin mm-hmm. happen during the NFL season and then him being cleared to come back. Uh, USC had had another player go through a similar incident the year before. Um, and, and that player is back playing as well. But that's that's small potatoes compared to the other side of it. Yeah, I mean, you, you wish Ronnie James a quick road to recovery and, and to be able to go back and to resume a normal life again and a long life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and for guys of our age, uh, we go back to Reggie Lewis or Hank yeah. Gathers, and and just you know this can happen to the best athletes in the world, and and Bronny is is highly rated in his class. He obviously is his father is is one of the two or three best players ever to play the game, and uh, but but that does not make you immune to to certain things and so uh 
it needs to be handled very, very carefully because the last thing that anybody wants to see is is having it happen in a situation where the help is not there or it's more severe the next time around. And so I'm sure they're going to be very, very cautious about uh, the steps that they take. But I, I'm just glad to see the kids all right. Yeah, most definitely. You want to err on the side of caution on this and make sure that all the boxes are checked and everything before anything starts to resume again. And like I said, you're just hoping that, you know, a long, healthy life ahead of Ronnie James. Mm -hmm. And we go from kind of hopefully what will eventually be a feel-good story to just the soap opera of, of, of soap operas right now. Um, how tired of you are the of the whole Harden deal, Tony? Because <laughs> I know how tired honest, I am of it. Yeah. yeah, I don't even really pay attention to it. You know, uh, the one thing that, that's interesting there, you know, I think James tried to force the Sixers' hand by opting into his contract. Mm -hmm. But by opting into his contract, the Sixers have a little bit more leverage than what he has. Now, don't get me wrong, when James is uh, – not motivated doesn't want to be there uh we saw what happened in houston uh with that whole situation and you you don't you hope that something like that doesn't happen in philadelphia but you know the the sixers got to get something back in return mm -hmm. i mean and that's the thing i mean they're, they're getting paid like he's getting paid 35 36 million dollars they've got to get something back in return to keep their roster because you can't waste the prime years of Embiid. That's not the fair, that's not fair to Joel with what he's had to go through with both James and Ben Simmons previously. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I was listening to one of the NBA pods or whatever, and they, they said that he can't do what he did in Philly or I did. He did in, in Houston and in Brooklyn, which is to bail because if he does it again, he's going to be playing and, Saudi Arabia or, you know, something like that, you know, uh, NBA, he signed, he, he opted into his contract because there was nowhere else for him to go as a free agent. Nobody was willing to give him anything. And that's why he did it. So kind of what I've heard from the, from the wind horse and the Zach Lowe's and the, the folks that I listen to pretty regularly is he knows in the back of his mind that he can't come in and sabotage us. Like he, if he wants to get out of there, he needs to play really, really hard so that he'll have some value so that the Sixers can get something back. Because, you know, Daryl Morey has definitely proved ironically enough when it comes to, uh, these trade situations it, and it happened with James Harden of all people is he sat Ben Simmons out for three fourths of the year before he traded for, for Harden. He was like, ah, I know he's allegedly our second best player and I know he's our second uh, highest salary, but we're just going to play on without him. And, you know, Harden knows that. And if anybody knows that Harden knows that because him and Maury have been attached at the hip for the last decade or so in one way or another. But I'm just tired of all the theatrics. Uh, just go out and play, James. You're 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 an extremely talented player. Uh, focus on the team instead of yourself. Uh, kind of like what we were talking about the 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 code. You know how to make an uncoachable player coachable. You know, yeah. here's a guy that just continues to burn bridges everywhere that he goes. I mean, it, it happened. Okay, it happened once in Houston. You can understand bad bad timing, bad plays. Uh, whatever. Uh, but then he went to Brooklyn 
and that did not end well and now it's it's shaping up to not end well in philadelphia and and i don't know if you saw this tony or not but or heard about it but Embiid said that you know his focus is to to win a championship in philadelphia or somewhere else and that was the key part of the phrase or somewhere else and so people are psychoanalyzing that as well what is he going to ask out next and and if he asks out where's he going to go so uh, for my brother-in-law, Jim Martin, who lives out in, in the Philadelphia area, diehard Philadelphia fan, uh, this, this uh, you know, Days of Our Lives situation is just getting ridiculous. And obviously it's magnified because it's Philadelphia and, and it's a big sports market and things like that. But, man, just, just get it figured out, fellas. Just get it figured out and just play basketball and, and play together and try to win a championship together. That just seems so simple to me, but maybe it's not. You know, and with Embiid, I, I can understand his frustration. I really yeah. can. Yeah. You know, Ben and then James. Um, and some intriguing trade scenarios that are out there would be with New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll, that one's kind of worth keeping an eye on a little bit. Yeah. Now, would they trade? Uh, would they trade Embiid to New York? Uh, that's the now. If 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 let's say Sacramento had the same assets that new york had and they were forced into that deal they would probably be more they, they wouldn't be thrilled about it but at least it would be sacramento and not yeah. get them out of your conference yeah, yeah or your division even too you know so um yeah we'll see we'll see what happens this is this is going to drag out it's going to drag out and drag out and drag out but i was just kind of curious to see what you thought buddy so um last thing let's go on a little wnba las vegas aces are rolling like a river and uh, can't, uh, but a little bit of a setback. And again, whenever you have such a top-heavy team, uh, you know any tor- sort of injuries to your top-level players uh, can be a, a, a little bit of a blow. And for the the Aces, uh, Candace Parker um, hurt her foot. Uh, she had a, a procedure done on her foot and is out for an extended amount of time here uh for how long nobody really knows uh but uh you know tony how can how can a a team who is obviously highly successful or they're like 23 and 2 or something like that uh, uh but they're they're really really top heavy you know if you remove that one element to your top heavy rotation uh, how can that affect things, and 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 what should the Aces be looking at here? You know, the Aces, like you said, very very top heavy. Chelsea Gray, possibly the best point guard in the league. Um, Kelsey Plum has just been tearing it up the last ten tenish games. Uh, Asia Wilson, always in the MVP conversation, and then Jackie Young shooting the three like she's unconscious from behind the arc. But they are very top heavy. And the one thing I would point out here that I found kind of interesting with the Aces. You know, Ashley Jones, I think, was with the Wings. Is that who she was with first? Yeah. Got cut by them and is now on the Aces roster. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I didn't know if he had caught that recently, uh, Ashley Jones from Iowa State. Yep. But I thought that one was kind of an interesting fit there as well. Not that she's going to play a big role or anything with them. Um, but they, they're vulnerable. Um, yeah. You know, I get they've only lost two times all year. How can you say that? But I think they're vulnerable. Um, a team like Dallas, Dallas they have a hard time matching up with. 
Um, it's not a slam dunk that they're going to win the whole thing. Uh, they've played really, really well, but with this injury to Candace Parker, and I think they had something else go on with the roster as well, uh, yeah. they're a little bit vulnerable. It's not a slam dunk for them, but they're definitely the favorite. Yeah, they, they had a gal that uh, basically they cut because of some domestic issues. Uh, and I think she was more towards the end of the bench, but you know that's a that's a disruption. You, you know, you no matter how you slice or dice it, that's a, that's a disruption. So, um, you know, the good thing, if if there's a silver lining here, is that it has happened with enough time to make some adjustments to to kind of figure it out a little bit, so to speak. Uh, if, if this happens three weeks from now, then you you, you know then you're getting pretty close to the playoffs and i forget exactly what uh, don't they start playoffs usually right around labor day don't they tony yeah yeah yep. uh so so that would be a bigger issue i know for uh for the best team that i had at my old job we were rolling along we were we were six i think we were 16 and one and and we should have been undefeated we we yeah anyway not that i'm still bitter how many years later but uh our our leading scorer uh, broke her collarbone a week and a half before districts and and we just happened to not only do that but we we had three pretty good teams that we played boom 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 uh right after that and we went from 16 and 1 to 16 and 4 uh and you know that it, 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 it took us it took a couple weeks for us and and you know we were uh, our our starting five was really really good together and and then we had two or three uh, girls off the bench that were very quality subs. Uh, but when their, when their minutes were elevated from 10 to 18 to 20 minutes a game, uh, it took a time. It took time for the chemistry to come together. It took time for the, uh, it took time for them to adjust to the situation, you know, a lot of different things. And, and so the, the silver lining with the, with the aces is that this happened about a month out from the playoffs. So they've, they've got a month and they've also got a pretty big lead in the standings uh, so that they can kind of figure some of these things out. Like I said, but um, it, it could, it could, it, it's probably going to take them a bit to get this all figured out and to try and figure out how, everybody's going to play together and what their new roles are going to be because you know just as well as I do Tony when you when you have that tight-knit group of five starters and everybody's in a rhythm and everybody kind of knows their job uh when you when you remove run one element of that it's going to take some time no matter how talented the next player is coming in 100% agree and like you said they do have a little bit of time they can begin to tinker with some things you know and then the other thing yeah look at too is if Candace does get cleared to come back, having to incorporate her back into the chemistry and the stuff that they were doing, that will be challenging there as well. Yep. Yep. So Tony, anything else uncoachable players and how to make them coachable? You know, patience would be, would be my, my biggest thing. And again, there's, there may come a point in time where you have to cut bait, but do understand they're not a finished product. Like I mentioned earlier at my advanced age, I definitely am not a finished product and still, have issues and make mistakes and stuff like that. And you want to help them because unfortunately uncoachable kids become unemployable adults. And so there's, there's the big picture at play, the long game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not going to happen overnight. These changes, these are, these are ingrained habits, whatever they may be. These are ingrained habits. And, and I love what you said there, Tony, about patience. Uh, 
we've got to give these kids a chance. I, I heard, a, uh, I was listening to, um, oh, the Nate, uh, Nate Sanderson podcast, and, and, they, and the guest was saying, uh, you would not give up on a kid after one day with them trying to fix their jump shot. You would continue to work with that player on fixing their jump shot. Well, kind of the same thing here. Now, unless it's something really, really bad, uh, you can't give up on this after one day. Uh, you've got to keep working at it. Now, again, there may come a point where you say you know, the same thing you would say to Fred. Hey, we just can't have you shooting three-pointers because it's just not coming around. You, you can contribute in all these other ways. But the three-point shots just, we don't, we don't, if you shoot a three, you're coming out of the game, so to speak. Um, and you may get to that point with, with this individual that might not be very coachable. So, uh, but you got to give it a chance. And, and so hopefully we were able to help folks out with that here today. So anything else, Tony? We're good to go? You're good, man. All right. Well, hey, next week, the big 5-0. Um, we'll get it going here. Uh, great discussion. Uh, episode number 49. Uh, how to hopefully make uncoachable players coachable. I uh, hope you folks have enjoyed it. If you need anything from Tony and I, you know how to get a hold of us on Twitter, uh, email, so forth and so on. So, coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time. <laughs>